Welcome to the Rhodes Trust Roads Ahead series, bringing you thought leadership from the Rhodes community around the world. In this set of podcasts, recorded during the inaugural Schwarzman Rhodes Symposium at Rhodes House, Oxford in October 2018, our contributors reflect on public leadership in the 21st century, in particular the challenges of ethical leadership, cultural understanding, and communication in today's fast-moving interconnected world. We hear now from Rhodes trustee Dame Helen Ghosh, Master of Balliol College, Oxford, and former Director General of the National Trust. I'm Helen Ghosh, and I'm Master of Balliol College, Oxford, and a Rhodes trustee. Before that, I've had 35 years career in various parts of the public and charity sectors, first as a civil servant, working under a variety of governments between 1979 and 2012, and then before I came back to Oxford as the head of the National Trust, which is Europe's largest conservation charity with 5 million UK members. One of the great challenges of being a leader is to learn how to be effective in very different kinds of contexts. For 33 years, I was a civil servant when I began very junior, latterly as the head of two government departments. But of course, throughout, you are serving elected politicians. In one sense, you are the leader. You're living within a very clear ethical code in terms of the performance, the behaviour, the approach that you take as a civil servant, and therefore how you lead the civil servants in your department. And then for five, almost six years, as the head of a charity, rather less structured in its hierarchy, where yes, there were a group of trustees, but in a sense, setting the strategy and setting the vision was something that you as the leader did, very different from the way you work as a civil servant, where you're essentially delivering the manifesto of a democratically elected government. So the two things are rather different. But more importantly, and I think this is something that as leaders, we need to think about all the time, the expectations of the organisation of the leader are very different. In government, you are, to some extent, representing back to your civil service team in the government department, the wishes of your political masters and determining them, thinking how you can deliver them successfully. But it's within quite a hierarchical, quite a technocratic environment. And although you can bring something of yourself, something of your emotion and your passion to what you're doing, it's very different from working in a charity which has a charitable purpose in which your staff passionately believe. You have five million members to talk to, again, many of whom believe passionately, often very different things about what the charity should be doing. So whatever your natural style of leadership might be, whatever the style of leadership in which you feel comfortable, you have to learn to adapt. That's a comment I always make when people say, but surely the essence of leadership is to be authentic, to be authentically yourself. Well, if you were always just authentically yourself... I don't think you would be effective as a leader. A breakthrough moment for me was when I was a board-level member of staff at what's now Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. I was the head of corporate services, and a new chairman arrived who come from the private sector. The rest of the board around me was all male. There was I trying to represent the civil service rules about how you recruit people and how you promote people and all of those things, surrounded by 
people, some of whom had come from the rather rougher-tougher end of the private sector. At one of these board meetings, effectively a row broke out between myself and I think it was the head of IT, who said, well, I'm just going to bring in my mates from such and such a company, and they can do the IT much better than these dreadful civil servants. I, as we'd say these days, went off on one and said, that's a complete disgrace, and you haven't followed the civil service recruitment rules. The very wise chairman took me aside at the end, and he said, That's very interesting, Helen, and you've got that off your chest and you demonstrated your values, but do you think it was effective? I thought, no, I won't have changed that guy's mind for a moment. He will simply have looked down on me and despised the fact that I'd got emotional. So I then started working with a coach who said, first of all, Helen, look at your values, look at the kind of person you are, what's your personality, and then think, always think about what is an effective behaviour in a given situation to achieve what you want to do. Which leads you on to the big question about how, in fact, you need to get the sense of the organisation, get the sense of the event that you're attending, get the sense of the person you're trying to influence, and then work out what's the effective way to behave, which isn't inauthentic. It isn't something that is contrary to a value set. It's simply saying, assuming that you agree with the outcome you're trying to achieve, what's the best way to achieve it? Now I've been here six months as the head of an Oxford college in Oxford University, very ancient institutions both, and I realised that neither of the styles of leadership, whether in government or in the charitable sector, are the ones that work here. This is a context where what you are doing is influencing, suggesting ideas to people and planting a seed which may not germinate for months or even years, taking a long view... One thing that is completely consistent between all three contexts, though, is the sense that what the leader has to do is set the tone. In everything you do, what you say, how you dress, how you talk to people, particularly more junior people, but senior people as well, what's the general tone you set? Is it confrontational? Is it cold? Or is it collaborative and warm and supportive and fair? I think for any leader in any context, that sense of what's the tone you set as you walk around the building is fantastically important. If I look back to the start of my civil service career in 1979, I think the idea that you would consult the public on some proposal that government had was fairly alien, to be honest. In 2018, and certainly looking into the future, deference is gone, the idea that government knows best, completely gone. So the real challenge in public leadership, and I think it is a great challenge, is how you balance hearing and listening to the voice of the people with finding solutions that will genuinely solve a problem. What do I mean by that? One of the most transformative jobs I ever did was as the director of government regeneration programmes in East London, then as now, very deprived communities, economically declined since their industrial heyday, all sorts of social problems, a revolving door. People would come in, whether as immigrants or from other parts of the country, with poor prospects. And the moment they prospered, off they went to another part of London. This question about how you balance the voice of the people, what does the community think is the answer, with what, in a technocratic sense, is the answer, is fantastically difficult. I worked on a programme under the Blair government called the New Deal for Communities, which offered communities, 4,000 household kind of size, a large pot of money, something like £50 million sterling, to deal with the problems over a reasonable period of time, over 10 years. 
And it was fascinating and humbling to go and talk to these communities. First of all, identify who were the real spokespeople for the community, because so often people would pop up saying, I speak for the community. No, I speak for the community. And you realise that neither of them spoke for the community, in fact. They might have been middle-class do-gooders who'd come in, or they were the perhaps dominant group. I'd say, so where are the mums at home with six children? I'm not hearing from those people. That's problem number one. And of course, people have a very visceral, understandably, idea of what is the problem to be solved. In one particular estate in South London, the issue was, well, if only this 1960s high-rise, joined together with walkways, badly lit estate were knocked down and we had lots of nice little houses with their own gardens, all our problems, which of course were unemployment, health inequalities, crime, would go away. In that sense, the community almost certainly wasn't right. But you couldn't say, I'm sorry, you're not right. What you had to do was to find the real community and work with them to say, let's look at what problem you've got and see how we might solve it. So is the answer to health inequalities to build a gleaming new health centre? Or is the answer to do some really good programmes on smoking, which was one of the causes of some of the greatest inequalities, or teenage pregnancy? Would that solve the problem? How about that? Shall we try that? Again, crime, the community believed that crime was rife on the estate. When you looked at the crime statistics and did a crime statistics map, most of the crime was in fact happening in a street nearby where there was a street market and so on. Not that much was happening on the estate. So it's not actual crime, is it fear of crime? And if it's fear of crime, would better lighting or some community wardens, would those solve the problem? We tried that and it worked. I think, in fact, over time, there has been considerable rebuilding of the estate. But helping the community identify the problem that actually needed solving and then helping them solve it, rather than saying, you're the community, you must be right, that sense of how you collaborate, I think that's quite a big ask for leaders because you have to listen. You don't just listen and say, we'll do whatever you say. You have to listen but also push back say, but what about this? What about that evidence? Which is a long process. And it can be quite a painful and awkward process because you feel, I shouldn't be telling these people what to do. But in fact, you need to get to that place where you're having a respectful mutual conversation. That's the big challenge for public leadership in the 21st century, how you get that mutually respectful, productive conversation about what needs to be done. That was Rhodes trustee Dame Helen Ghosh, Master of Balliol College, Oxford, and former Director General of the National Trust. You have been listening to the Roads Ahead series on public leadership. We do hope you can join us for our next podcast.